I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to John. John chapter 20, we'll begin at verse 1, as John shares with us the story of resurrection. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman... Why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of sharing the resurrection story together. And now as I stand before these, your people, this is your holy church. I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. We always begin our Easter services across the street at the church graveyard. Graveyard. I, I don't really like that word, graveyard. Although the word now graveyard and cemetery, they're kind of used interchangeably, a graveyard is connected to a church and a cemetery, it's freestanding. So I love the fact that we have the graveyard, that it's right up near the church, and I'm grateful that at my home church where my father is buried, that the graveyard is connected with the church. It reminds us of the connection with our faith. But I really don't like the word. It just seems so final. 
As a matter of fact, the word grave can even mean serious, like he made a grave mistake, or even dangerous. She was in grave danger. Some of you might even remember watching the movie A Few Good Men, and and you remember when Lieutenant Caffey had Colonel Jessup up on the stand, and and all of a sudden he goes, well, he was in danger, and Caffey goes, grave danger, and Jessup goes, is there any other kind? Grave danger. I don't like the word graveyard. It It gives a sense of hopelessness and a sense of finality to it. But Paul shouts in 1 Corinthians 15, not whispers, shouts, proclaims with amazing victory and faith when he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I like beginning our services at the graveyard, because the grave has been defeated. Sin and death and Satan himself has been defeated triumphantly by our God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The grave could not hold our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was crucified on Good Friday And as a result of that victory, the grave cannot hold us or our loved ones if we only believe and receive His amazing grace. Easter. This is the day that changed everything. This is the day that is vital to our faith. This is the day that confirms everything that's said about Jesus at Christmas This is the day that confirms the forgiveness of our sins on Good Friday. This is the day that is pivotal to our faith. We see hopelessness turn to victory. I mean, think about how the disciples were feeling early on Easter Sunday morning before they experienced the resurrected Christ. They were crushed. They were in despair. Their hopes and their dreams had been crucified on Good Friday. They had proclaimed, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And yet they watched Him die. And if you listen again to the scriptures that we shared on Holy Thursday and Good Friday from the scripture of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, did you notice how many times Jesus had been slapped, spat upon, beaten, hit with reeds, and then crucified? And every one of those slaps and attacks, they were feeling the grief of watching someone that they loved go through such a heinous event. But not only were they watching someone they love die, they were watching their faith die. Their hopes die. Their dreams die. 
They had left their families and their homes to go and serve Jesus as the Messiah. They had followed him for three years, slept on the ground, traveled mile after mile, gone through thick and thin with Jesus, and it just appeared to be over. On Palm Sunday, when the crowds were waving the branches and and shouting Hosanna, the disciples were on cloud nine. But on Good Friday, when Jesus said it is finished and breathed his last, they were in the depths of despair. But resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave and appeared then not only to the women, but to the disciples and to so many others. And the question that we often hear is, but is it real? Did it really happen? Is the resurrection true? So many scholars have researched this. People like N.T. Wright, whom you know that I love to read and study, the amazing biblical scholar from Oxford. People like Lee Strobel, Timothy Keller, and others have dug so deep into the resurrection story. Oh, it's, it's real. The evidence is so overwhelming. N.T. Wright reminds us, for example, that it was both an empty tomb and resurrection appearances, that there are so many witnesses who experience the risen Christ, and either one without the other could be dismissed. Oh, an empty tomb? What would you immediately think? Someone took the body. The scripture we just read in John, they've taken our Lord. We don't know where they've laid Him. The first assumption was not resurrection. The first assumption was someone took Him. If we went to a a funeral and a few days later went to the cemetery or to the graveyard to, to visit the grave of a loved one and we found it dug up and empty, I doubt our first thought would be maybe they're alive again. We would be distraught just like Mary and the disciples. They've taken our Lord. They've taken our loved one. Maybe... Maybe the Romans would have destroyed the body. If if it was just the empty tomb, we could have blamed. The soldiers didn't want anybody to have any hint that he rose from the dead, so they had him destroyed. Maybe we would argue it was vandals, it was grave robbers. Perhaps others would go, the disciples probably hid the body of Jesus because they didn't want anybody to know he was truly dead. Oh, if if it was just an empty tomb, we could probably explain that away. And... If it was just some appearances, some resurrection alone, but no sign of an empty tomb, we'd be going, they're hallucinating. They are so distraught that they have imagined that they've seen Jesus alive. Or others could have possibly argued it was a a hoax, it was a scheme, it was something that, that they are saying and doing now, a story that was created to try to keep the myth alive. No. There was an empty tomb and appearances to so many of the risen Christ. Is it real? Could it really have happened? Well, think about this. The disciples were common people. They were fishermen. They they did all kinds of ordinary tasks, ordinary people, real human beings. How do you think that immediately people like that could have gathered together after witnessing the trauma, and it is trauma to witness a, a crucifixion, 
Can you imagine that a group of people like that could huddle together with their dreams dashed and all of a sudden immediately come up with a story that would change the world for over 2,000 years? I highly doubt it. And even if they did come up with a story, when you read about the disciples, most all of them died for their faith. They were persecuted for their faith, crucified for their faith, destroyed and killed for their faith. Would they have died for a hoax and not one of all of these witnesses, not one of them broke and said, okay, okay, I'll tell you where the body is? No, the evidence is overwhelming. And the resurrection faith was immediate. It didn't take, didn't take hundreds of years for a narrative to get developed. It was immediate that he was the risen Lord. And if you were going to make up a story in biblical times, in Palestine, in the Middle East, if you were going to make up an extraordinary story about a resurrection... You would not have used women in that day to be the main characters because, unfortunately, in that day, women had a different status. As a matter of fact, their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. So if you were going to make up a story, if you were going to make up a resurrection scene, if you were going to try to change the world with this faith, you wouldn't have used a group of people that largely were ignored. No. Why were the women mentioned? Because Jesus actually appeared to the women. They were the first ones who experienced the risen Christ. That is the testimony, the very first evangelist. And no one would have made it up, so therefore it just adds how true it is. As a matter of fact, N.T. Wright says that there must have been some pressure placed upon the writers of the Gospels to have left that part of the story out, but it was too late. By the time they wrote the Gospel messages, it was so well known that Jesus appeared to these women and they go and tell the disciples. Now, if you were writing the story, you might would have written it differently, so therefore that just adds... Even more evidence, it must be true. This is not an orchestrated work of fiction. This is what really happened. And then there's Paul. The scripture that we began with in our service is absolutely powerful. I encourage you to spend some more time just reading through 1 Corinthians 15. This is a letter that was written before any of the four Gospels. So remember that. This was written about 15, 20 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Mark will not be written until another 15, 20 years or so later. And he was the first gospel. And catch this, Paul is writing a public letter. Letters to the churches were sent and read aloud publicly multiple times so that people could come and hear. Paul was trained in rhetoric. Paul was a professional orator. Paul was a professional at being able to put together argument and debate and persuasive argument. And Paul knew how foolish it would have been to have got up and argued something so publicly if you couldn't back it up. Paul says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, 
of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received and which also you stand and catch this, through which also you are being saved, if you firmly hold to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you've come to believe in vain. Paul says this is of first importance. This is the most important thing I could teach to you, that, that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and God raised him from the dead. But then Paul takes it to a whole new level. Listen carefully. Paul names multiple witnesses. He could not have, would not have dared to have mentioned this if he couldn't back it up. Because Paul is still sharing about witnesses that were still alive and around when he goes, he appeared first to Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for Peter, to the 12 disciples, and then listen to over 500 people at the same time. And Paul says, most of them are still alive to this day. Someone could say, well, then show me. Bring me a witness. Who heard this? Who saw this? Who experienced it? If you said over 500 people, there better be somebody to back up the story. And they did. And they could. Then he appears to James and then... Paul himself. Is it real? Paul says without a doubt. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It is a fact. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Timothy Keller in his Hallmark book called The Reason for God says, If you do not believe Jesus rose from the dead, then you must come up with a historically feasible alternate explanation for the birth of the church. How in the world could a myth change the world and launch a church? You've got to come up with another historically feasible alternative explanation. So we can argue, we could keep arguing, it's real, but the real question behind it is, what difference does it make? Well, as I said, Easter Sunday, it, it validates Christmas. I mean, the promises of a Christmas was that, that this is the birth of the Messiah, this is the birth of the Christ, this is the one that the entire Old Testament prophets and others had been pointing to, it validates this is who this is. As a matter of fact, the angel says to Joseph, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Paul said of first importance, he died for your sins and mine. And the angel says, you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And John chapter 1 makes it clear. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, tabernacled among us. If the end of the story was Good Friday, it would have been the end of the story. But Easter Sunday validates everything that was promised at Christmas, validated everything that was said on Good Friday and that happened. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
The tragedy if this had not occurred. Verse 18, then those who have died in Christ have perished. All of our loved ones, the, the, the whole purpose of joining at the graveyard would have been for naught. And then Paul proclaims, as said earlier in verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Shirley Guthrie, Dr. Guthrie was a great theologian. He was actually my advisor in my doctoral program at Columbia Theological Seminary. He said, without faith that Jesus rose from the dead, there would be no Christianity. He goes on to say, the meaning of the resurrection is undemocratic. Jesus is not Lord by our permission or because he wins enough votes to get into office. God made him Lord in Christ without any support or cooperation from the side of human beings. In fact, despite their unwillingness and their hostility. Ah, this whole Easter event is God proclaiming, I told you, He is Lord. Jesus, His Lord, is one of those deal breakers for me and my faith. Peter adds to it in his sermon on Acts chapter 2, following Pentecost, verse 36, when he said, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Timothy Keller, in his newer book, Hope in the Times of Fear, said liberal Christianity, a message of simple ethical love and hope, could never have turned anyone's life, much less the entire Roman world, upside down. He said, liberal Christianity that questions the resurrection of Jesus is not actually an updated Christianity. He says, rather, it is the creation of a different religion altogether. The cross and the resurrection is vital to our faith. Death has been swallowed up in victory, Paul shouts. Where, old death, is your victory? Where, old death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, and the appearance to so many witnesses could have reversed the horror of Good Friday. Easter does not allow for us to have an anemic faith. On Easter, God proclaimed victory. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil himself, and offers you and me this victory if we will receive His only begotten Son as our Savior and Lord, Jesus the Christ. The Lord has risen. He has risen indeed. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Easter.